It's time to get it, and you know how we get it. Americano! The podcast about all things business and personal growth with your host, Eric Vonheim. Today, I would like to welcome B-Boy Crumbs to the show. How are you doing, sir? Man, doing excellent. Where are we, where are we, where are we at right now? Let the audience know. We are in the studio right now, um, Laguna Niguel. Just making it happen over here in the OC. In the OC. Now, do you come to the OC often or? Um, yeah, I used to teach out here. Um, <clears throat> so I'd come out here at least once, twice a week. Yeah. You know, I'm based in Los Angeles, so got to get through that traffic. That's never no fun, but, Gosh. you know, we get through it. Yeah, and you know, and it's, and it's not even that far, right? But it's just the fact that there's traffic. The Los Angeles traffic, the Southern California traffic, it is no joke. I mean, 10 miles could be 10, like an hour. Yeah, it's insanity. So that part's never fun. <clears throat> but um, but I love OC. OC's dope. Yeah. You know? now, now, how long have you been in Southern California for? Now, eight, 18 years. 18 years. Yeah, it flies by, man. It goes quick. Yeah. So before we t- kind of talk about, you know, living in Southern California and what you're up to and what you've been up to um, as as a dancer and, and many things, I mean, we're going to get into that. Uh, why don't you share a little bit about your background? Like, who is B-Boy Crumbs? Where are you from? How did you come up? How did, how did B-Boy Crumbs come to be? Um, originally uh, raised in Panama. I was born in Vegas, raised in Panama. I moved to Panama when I was like two or three months old. Wow. You were so, young. Yeah, super. Just a baby, man. Yeah. Um, so, you know, Panama straight jungle lifestyle, you know, yeah. dirt roads and, you know, you don't really have na- close neighbors at all, like that that type of, of living. Used to, I remember swimming with alligators in the Seriously. Panama Canal. Yeah. Like so, so I mean, up. so you would see an alligator while you're swimming. Oh yeah, the eyes pop up out of the water, so you see them, but they don't mess with you. Like, what? Yeah, they never mess with us. You realize you're lunch. Yeah, you could be yeah, lunch. Yeah, it's true. So, so what do you do in that situation? <clears throat> well, okay, so we used to go like we had a boat, so we used to go uh, kneeboarding okay. and like you know skiing and stuff, yeah. water skiing. So we wouldn't like be swimming in the water, just lounging, you okay. know. But you know you. When you wreck, you have to wait for the boat to come around to pick yeah. you back up. And that's when you look around and you, you see, you're like, oh, <laughs> like, okay, we're not alone here. <laughs> you know what? I mean, that's got to be a stressful situation. You're, you're, you're waiting in the water for the boat. Yeah. And you look like an appetizer to a crocodile. Could be. So right. did you become efficient at swimming? <laughs> yes, yes. See, I was like, before I even got out there in the water, I, I used to uh, do high diving and all that stuff. I learned how to swim and and uh, I got into diving. That was yeah. like my one of my first things I got into that I got really good at. So I was good in the water, you know, so I wasn't really, you know, for, it was weird. I guess when you're younger, that fear, the fear is there, but it's not as in, intense, is if that, that makes right? sense. Yeah. yeah, maybe just because you grew up with it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's it's the surroundings, it's the area, you know. He just that's where I live. Just you become part of it, and yeah. you know they don't they didn't mess with me. They mess with you, okay? So okay, so you start out. You're born in Vegas, Las Vegas, and then you go to Panama, and you spend how many years <clears throat> of your life where you're in Panama? Uh, first ten years. First ten years. So mm-hmm. you had a good experience in Panama. I mean, that's a great, great childhood. Yeah, it it really is. I wouldn't trade it for anything. Like it was an amazing childhood. Um, 
of course, when you get older, you realize that uh, there's not much opportunity as far as like, you know, growing businesses and all that okay. stuff. Yeah. But the lifestyle of just kind of being free and away from all that stuff is amazing too. Yeah. Out of the matrix, right? Yeah. 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 So it's nothing like Los Angeles. Uh, nothing at all. Yeah. So I, I was blessed to live both lifestyles. Yeah. So I know the difference. So you're you're there for 10 years, uh, you know, as a young um Young, young, young boy coming up, young man, I should say. And then at some point you make your way back to the States, right? Yeah. Um, in, was it, uh, 89? 89. Yeah. Because the whole reason we moved is because the drama with, uh, Noriega. Okay. And the, the cocaine wars and all the shit you see movies about, excuse the language. Um, yeah, I was there. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you and were it, living it. It got crazy. So, I literally lived literally five minutes from the Panama Canal. Okay. So it took us five minutes to get to the canal, like right there. So we would see like, you know, all the boats and the shipments come mm -hmm. through and it wasn't, it was the bad type of shipments, you know, <laughs> and it was the, the wild west. Like, I really? mean, anything, anything goes type stuff. Um, so, so they weren't just uh, TVs and toasters. Nah. <laughs> They weren't selling, uh, no, they weren't okay. selling anything good, but, um, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Okay. So what I'm hearing is crocodiles and a lot of drugs, and drugs. Yes. Oh, Crocs right. and drugs all day, all night. But, um, yeah, uh, 89, it just got, that's when the, the U S invaded and, uh, they were going after Noriega okay. and, uh, it got really crazy. So we literally had, um, had, had guys with machine guns in front of our, our house just, 24 7 like everywhere really? you know it got really bad for protection and was stuff this like private that. security that your family had no it was just uh well my dad was in the military okay so we kind of lived on a <clears throat> on a military base okay. around in panama yeah so they had it for all of us nice like you know guards yeah, to keep your family safe yeah wow but it just got so crazy that my mom just moved us all to california that was it. where my dad's side is from just had enough of that so um, you so you come to California now. Where do you where do you land when you get to California? Where do you end up? Where's uh, the, where's where's mom and the family take you? Yeah, Modesto, California. The two oh nine. The two oh nine, son. Okay, so Modesto. So at this point, you're what? 10, 11? 10. 10. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yep. Got up out of there. Um, you know, we have family in Modesto. My grandmother lived in Modesto. I got cousins in Modesto. Aunts, all that. Yeah. So. So there's a lot of family that you have in Modesto. Right. Now, did you have that foundation prior to moving? Is that why you guys gravitated towards Modesto? Yeah. Okay. We had family, half our family was in Panama, and then the other half in California. In California. Yeah. Okay. So you spent a good part of your adolescence in Modesto. Yes. Yep. And so, you know, for our audience out there, and we're going to dive into this, but you have a long, amazing storied career as, as a phenomenal dancer, specifically in the world of breaking, uh, b-boying, and, uh, and many other uh, aspects of that. <clears throat> Tell us about how that came to be, because it's my understanding you got into this as a young child. Like, what was the catalyst? What were, what were the things, the in-between things, or the things leading up to breaking that sort of kicked this off? Well, to go back to Panama, I was always the type of kid that would find the new thing that I'm interested in, get really good at it, and then quit and do something else. You know, okay. just get good at a bunch of things. So, I, and it's Panama, so we were into some crazy stuff like archery. You know what I mean? Like, 
getting good at stuff like that. Right. Um, like I said, diving, like who really does that? Right. Yeah. Right. So, um, in Panama, I had never seen breaking before. Like we, we didn't get all the movies that they got in the States. Okay. So breaking one and two beat street never came out in Panama. Never saw the light of day in Panama. Yeah. You know, so I was clueless to that when I was living there. Okay. <clears throat> so first time I saw it was when I moved to California. Actually saw some kids from my junior high, I believe, doing it. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, oh, that's crazy. So it just caught your interest. Yeah, right away. Right away, yeah. And uh, that's kind of how I, I got into it. And then later... I found out about the movies and stuff like that and started yeah. doing some research. And uh, I, I also was really, really, uh, when I first got to California, I uh, started roller skating, like going to Roller King. That's okay. what it, the place was called in Modesto. I would be there every weekend. And um, and I used to uh, do, rec- we call it rexing. It's dancing on roller skates, right? And, and this, is, this is before, like, what are the inline... The rollerblades. The rollerblades. There you go. These weren't even invented yet. The break your neck blades. (laughs) Yeah, we don't mess with those. I'm talking about the OG four wheel, you know, roller skates. Keep it safe. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So you you were rexing. Yeah, rexing. And you were doing this every weekend as a teenager. Yep. And I was competing all around California. Yeah. Hold on a second. So you're not just doing this for fun. You're actually competing. Yeah. There's competition. Yeah. And I like one every time what is, what's involved in competing in rexing like tell us about this this is fascinating it's just like any other competition like you have you have your age categories and you have a bunch of people in each category from different places yeah. in california they all come to that one spot wherever it is for that weekend for the competition and you go at it you know now did you when you were going to this place <clears throat> roller king is that where you first learned about Rexing, dancing on skate. Yeah. And it was that because you had seen people doing it there? Yep. Yep. You know, at these, uh, at the Roller King, this spot, they, um, they had nights like Fridays and Saturday nights where you go there at like eight to what, 12 and you just have fun. You just, you just, you just skate and there's people Rexing, there's people speed skating, there's people just, uh, just having fun, yeah. you know, going around the rink, whatever it is. But you, you get, you adapt to everything that's going on around you. And I gravitated towards, uh, towards Rexing. But I did speed skating too for a little bit. So, so are you trying to, are you telling me that you can skate backwards? <laughs> yeah. Okay. I could pretty much, yeah, sideways, upside <laughs> down, circles. So, so you're, so you're dancing on rollers. Now, are you going in a circle the whole time or? Well, the rink is a circle. Okay. If, if, you know, Do they you mix it up? They, didn't they mix it up, right? I thought it was sometimes like a couple songs are one way, then they change the songs, they make you go the other way. Um, they, they rotate around a little bit. No, I don't remember that, but they do They do, do a bunch of different things. Like yeah. they, I remember they had like some nights they would do limbo competitions where they bring out the, the bar and see, you know, how low you yeah. can go. And, and really like think about that on skates, right? So you got to gotta cross your leg and like contort your body and and not fall over so it was pretty crazy you know we would get pretty low on that but um but just you know kid stuff having fun yeah just having a good time but the the rexing i really took that serious and the first competition i ever did i got third place 
And then after that, only first until I stopped. So it's this competitive nature in you. Yeah, for sure. So back to what you said previously, it sounds like, you know, you when you focus on something, you be just become enamored with it. Yeah. Right. And then you want to get really good at it. And then now it's just competition mode. Yep. yep. Do you do you tend to apply that to everything that you do in life? Most definitely. Yeah. Yeah. So you're, you're dancing, you're rexing, and at some point you see somebody from your junior high school that's breaking, right? And what was your first reaction? Were you just thinking like, what the heck is this? I was looking for the next thing. Okay, because you were kind of done with the rexing at this point, or you had mastered it. Yeah, well, you never master anything, you know, but I, I did my thing. You did your thing. Yeah, it was time to move on and go to the next thing. And, and I knew right when I saw it, I was like, that's it. That's, that's it. That's the next thing. So skates came off and I started breaking. Yeah. What is one of the most memorable moves that you saw in that period uh, of those kids that were breaking? Because I, I feel like the, you know, most people that hear that term breaking or break dancing, it's commonly known as well, right? Media term. Yeah. Media term. Exactly. You know, they're often thinking about, you know, the flares or the windmills. Or well, the I was backspins. just going to say that flares and windmills were what caught my eye. And you got to remember too, like this is 92 something 90 maybe 93 yeah um so the the b-boys weren't uh they didn't have a, a large vocabulary yet of moves okay so there was only a couple things that people were doing now was and this, windmills was this, and flares were some of them now i have a question this is, this is a this is a serious question was the centipede could the centipede be considered in in that genre because, you know, you see people at weddings and parties doing the centipede. You know, All that's always been on my mind. Is that considered a move? Or is, is that just a party a move? move? I wouldn't consider it a breaking move, but it's definitely a, it's a party move. It's for a sure. party yeah. move. Okay, party so trick. For, for our listeners out there, the centipede, you are not breakdancing if we see you doing the centipede. Not at all. Okay, but if you do a flare or a windmill, okay, fair enough. We can mark you down. So you so you start on this path of, you know, becoming interested in breaking or breakdancing, right? And what happens next? I mean, do you just make friends with these guys? Do you start studying? I mean, you, you initially mentioned that there was limited information in <clears> Panama. Right. You're now in California where there's some people doing it. So how did you go about learning it? Um, again, there wasn't much to watch. There's only a couple movies. You know, we're talking about the 90s. So this is pre-internet, pre all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Had to go make friends with these people and go practice with them wherever they go practice and train at and uh, kind of just let it flow like that. That Roller King spot was a great spot to to meet dancers. Really? Because they had a night where it would be half skate night and half dance night. So So they had a dance floor. Yeah. They would just like like the first two hours would be roller skating, second two hours, last two hours would be take off the skates and now it's a dance party, you know? And then all like the B boys that, that I first seen, they would show up to that and, you know, go off. Okay. And that's when, you know, I saw people like Ivan Manriquez and the Manriquez brothers and California soul. I'm just dropping names of crews and people that I first saw, uh, there at Roller right. King breaking. Interesting. Um, and yeah. it's interesting because it's almost like it landed in your lap because you were already going to Roller King. Yeah, exactly. So it's like, you see these, you know, these guys that are breaking and then you like, what's that? I want to learn. And then all of a sudden it's at Roller King and you're, you know, it's almost like it's just surrounding you at this point. Yeah, can't get away from it. <laughs> so you start investing time in breaking at this point. A lot, yeah. Yeah, I mean, e even at school, like every period uh, that ended, I would be breaking until the next period started. Lunch, 
I probably uh, nine times out of 10, I wouldn't even have lunch. I'd just practice. I'd find, I'd find a wing, you know, in the hall uh, to myself or with a couple people that mm-hmm. I, I practice with and just practice the whole lunch period. So you can imagine after class, after school and all that, I was like, got to a point where I was breaking like 10 hours a day. Oh my God. You were serious about this. Yeah, for sure. What was the response from your peers like within the school? I mean, it sounds like it wasn't super popular or maybe there was a, a small, a handful of people that were doing it. Or did people find it to be cool or, or did you get some of the typical stuff that happens in school? Like, ah oh man, what is this guy doing? Like, what was the vibe at that time? Well, I got most unique in the yearbook. So whatever that counts for. I guess people, they thought it was really cool, but still didn't understand it too much. I mean, I wasn't out there playing hacky sack, you know what I mean? So it wasn't like I was like nerdy. Right. Not to say that's nerdy, but at the time, you know, people thought that way. Um, You know, I was doing something athletic and something creative and people, I think they, they, they thought that was cool, but they didn't understand it at the same time. So I was a bit of a, a loner. Uh, and still am till this day. It's just yeah. it's just who I am, or um, you know, just somebody that's just really focusing on their craft. Right. I mean, you know, there's I think there's a misconception because you know people that are choosing to invest a significant amount of time in any particular thing that they're doing, right, to learn something, to become really good at it, proficient. It's going to require a time investment, right? You have Which to geek means out on it. You have to geek out on it, and you know, and that means that you can't be going to every party, every birthday, or social events, and in hanging out. So. If you want to grow in life, you, you're going to have to adjust your time, right? Yes, but you're sir. right. I could see how some would perceive that to be a loner. Yeah, for sure. So you invest a considerable amount of time. I mean, 10 plus hours a day on, the, on that. I mean, that's, that's, that's commitment. That's commitment right there. So you're doing this throughout your junior year and your high school years, correct? Yes. And I would imagine it just continues to grow and evolve from there. Exactly. So at what point does it just kind of break free from the high school? Because I would imagine that some people that were sort of breaking in in school um, were doing this for fun, right? Having a good time, maybe the parties and things like that. The thing to do. The thing to do. And then at some point they said, eh, all right, I'm getting a little older. I'm going to switch gears and, and take a different path. But you continue down this journey. Tell us about that. And, and how did that progress for you? Oh, uh, well, I knew maybe like probably my sophomore year of high school that this was what I'm going to try to do for a living. Yeah. Yeah. Because already at that point, you think, you know, second year of high school, you know, you know about the entertainment industry, you're going to concerts and you're seeing other dancers on stage and you're seeing that you can make a living off of it if you, if you work super hard at it and you're okay. good at what you do. <clears throat> so, so I saw looking this at, as a viable career. Yeah, I saw past the fun, way past the fun, you know. But yeah. it's all fun to me. I do right. what I love, you know. But other people that you're describing that do it for a while and quit, they just did it for fun for for a little while, okay. you know, and then on to the next thing, like kind of like what I did with my previous stuff that I got into. Mm-hmm. But when you find what you're meant to be doing and you're supposed to do, you just know. And, and yeah. you stick with it you and you watch it. people fall off, but they weren't meant to, they weren't meant right. to stick with that particular thing, you know, but I was with, with breaking. So tell us about some of the early ex- experiences where you go from uh, really just doing this because you love it. And, and of course you still love it to this day, but at some point you're making money from it. 
Tell us about that first experience where now you're being, you're, you're now a professional because what separates somebody that's uh, like a hobby or amateur uh, versus a professional is when there's payment involved. The minute you get paid for that, you're now a professional, right? You're charging for those services. Tell us about that first experience for you. Well, in high school, I remember my junior year, I was getting offers like, I don't know if you remember, um, they were bringing Lollapalooza back, that big yeah. tour. And Beck, you know, the yeah. artist Beck, he was one of the headliners. Okay. And I don't remember how this all got hooked up. It was so long ago. But I remember I was supposed to to dance on that with with, with, Beck, with Beck on his, his show. Which he's, he was huge at that time. Right. And, um, you know, f- for some reason I, I couldn't do it and it didn't work out. But that put in my head like, okay, people are already looking for me, you know, and I'm still in high school. And they're interested in having me dance on stage and offering to pay me. So again, I got offered um, to go on a world tour with uh, Jam on the Groove, okay. which it was sponsored by Calvin Klein at the time. And it's the big. It was the biggest hip hop theatrical uh, tour in the world. You know, tours all over the world. Yeah. And we're talking about all the kings that do it. You know, Ken mm-hmm. Swift, Crazy Legs, Mr. Wiggles. I mean, I can go on and on. These, all these people that were in Beat Street. and These are the pioneers. Yeah, the pioneers, bro. Um, they wanted me to be a part of the cast. Yeah. And I'm like 16 at the time. You know, wow. and they're in probably close to their 30s at that time. You know, so... Um, my mom wouldn't let me go. She was like, no, you got to finish high school. And that's what I did. Finish high school. As soon as I finished, boom, I jumped, jumped on the tour. So you still had an opportunity. So what was this like your junior year where the opportunity came up and then. So I had to wait like a year and a half. But that's remarkable that they spotted you so young. And at the same time, you still had the opportunity about a year, year and a half later. Yep. So now you, you get on jam on the groove and your problem, your whole world just changed. Touring the world. You're touring the world. Sold out shows. You're 18 and you're already just traveling around. Yeah. No. That's remarkable. 17, yeah. Oh, well, I'm sorry, yeah. 17. You're, <laughs> you're, right, buddy. you're on the move. Right out of high school. You're not legally an adult and you're on the move. Yep. So that must have just been an incredible experience for you because I'd imagine at that point you're you're seeing the world, you're seeing different people, you're being exposed to this larger part of your industry and your passion, right? It's no longer the people that were at Roller King or the initial uh, kids that you saw breaking as, as when you were in junior high. You're now exposed to everybody. Yeah, with the elite level. With the elite you know, level. With, with the real, the guys that really do it for a living. Yeah. And been doing it for a living and pioneered it. What was their reaction to you at such a young age coming into that scene? <clears throat> uh, well, that's hard for me to answer. But, I mean. Was it a warm, I, I guess the question is, was it, was it welcoming? Was it supportive or did you feel that, you know, you really had to, in order to get to the next level, even though you got on Jam on the Groove, that was just like, all right, now you're here, but you still had to show us what you're capable of. Oh, for sure. You, you got to constantly get better. You have to constantly get better. And um, I think that I was the youngest guy on the, on the show. I was, I was the kid, you know, on yeah. stage with grown men. Right. So uh, I think they they really liked what I brought to the table, like my creativity and my originality. I was doing stuff that none of them were doing already, so I was I was adding something to the show. You're con- okay contributing something you, you know new and unique. It's not like I was going out there trying to be another one of them. 
I see. You know, not, yeah. I don't say that disrespectfully because those are my idols. Right. You know, but I need to bring something yeah. to the table. I can't just, I can't just uh, expect to do exactly what they do and um, not bring anything and feel, feel good about that. But you know, what you speak of is really reflective of the 90s. I mean, you, I, I often think about this in the, in the context of music, right? Take the hip-hop, take hip-hop music. I mean, it was a common term that many would throw at each other where they felt like you sound alike or look like, they would call you a biter, Yeah. right? And so I think there was a there was a disincentive to sound like somebody else, to, you know, dance like somebody else, which forced a lot of people to, to be unique, to be original. And what's interesting about that is a lot of those people got rewarded. And I think if you go back in early 90s hip hop music, you just find so much uniqueness and variety that it's just so original and raw. We had a couple rules in hip hop, and this pertains to all elements of hip hop. And one of them was definitely no biting. No you biting. Know, no biting. Do not steal other people's moves, other people's rhymes, other people's art, you don't jack. Yeah. You know, you got to be creative, be original, do you. Because the community would call you out, right? Oh, yeah. Especially the dance community. Like, if you come in a cypher doing, like, somebody's signature move or something, oh, you're not going to be let back in the cypher again. Like, you're going to get, you might get, you you might get, yeah, they you might get beat up. up. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> oh, like, it could get real serious. Yeah, it, come on, man. It's yeah. it's for now. Our, it's different now. But yeah. but this is how it was. It was serious. It was serious. Now, for our audience that's listening, what is this for those that have never heard this term cipher? What is a cipher? A cipher is a circle that we dance in. Okay, you know, just huddle up, make us a, a circle, call it a cipher, and one by one we go out and dance and. And um, battles start that way. Things get yeah. heated. You know, exchanges. You exchange with people. Uh, go rounds. Um, is it ever you just physical? I mean, does it ever really get physical where you get, you know? It can. It can. But, you know, it just depends on the type of person you are. Like, if you're that dude, I've never been that dude. You know? Yeah. Even when I battle people, I keep it strictly battle. Strictly yeah. strictly on the dance floor. So, so it but, just probably depends on the ego. Yeah, if if the guys, if you know, there's jerks out there right. that are just, just they, that's who they are, and right. it comes out, and and some people won't stand for that, and so you get slapped. So your ego is not your amigo <laughs> in the cipher. It can be though, but you got to keep it in check, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So let's so let's bring this forward. So you're you're a young man at this point. You're on Jam on the Groove, which is a, just an enormous opportunity for you. You're starting to make some money, yeah. feeling good. I mean, sky's the limit, right? At this point for you, and you know your your career has taken on just multiple levels and achievements, and too many to even really get into on this particular show. Um, but let's kind of bring this forward a little bit. You know, 10, 15 years into this journey. Are you still on the same trajectory where you just keep competing and um, getting out there more? Or do you, does your career start to take on some different dimensions? And I ask that question because it's my understanding that you also got into the Hollywood scene for a bit where now you're doing some sort of next level commercial type work, whether that be, you know, Hollywood movies, um, you know, commercials, video games and that type of thing. Maybe share with the audience, how do you go from now just dancing um, within these different, you know, ciphers and, and shows and tours to getting into some of the mainstream stuff a little bit. How does that happen for you? <clears throat> well, for me, when the tour ended, I moved to L.A. 
yeah, around 99, okay. 1999. And right away got into the entertainment industry, got uh, got into the best dance agency here in LA. How do you do that? Because I mean, there's, the, there's going to be a dancer out there that's listening to this and they're just maybe just scratching their head. How do I get into this industry? So what were some of the steps that you took? Well, I'll tell you what you're supposed to do and what I did. <laughs> <laughs> okay. What you're supposed to do is like audition. So they have auditions like once a month for these different dance agencies yeah. and they'll pick who they like and represent them. Okay. Uh, me, I just showed them a video clip and they signed me up. You just showed them a video? Just showed them a video clip. Now, you said this was in 1999? Yeah. I mean, video was not like it is today. Right. So were you a techie? Yeah, I've been I've been video editing and producing since since like '93. Really? Yeah. So in your spare time, when you weren't breaking ten hours a day, well, I was doing both. You know, I'd film and go in and edit, and that's how I like figured out the moves I like and what I don't like. And on top of that, uh, we were selling VHS videos of our dancing all over the world. Like we, that's how we made our big money. Interesting. You know, like we'd go to different countries with a with a suitcase full of VHS tapes, which would be like an hour, hour and a half long okay. of just straight breaking, like editing music. I'm a DJ too, so I'd put all the music together with it and all the editing, do it all myself, and good quality too, especially for the '90s. Like this was, um, there wasn't many people doing this right in our scene. You were ahead of your time. Yeah. So how much were you selling these tapes for? Uh. Like fifty bucks a pop. Fifty dollars. Yeah. And around nineteen ninety nine, two thousand. Yeah, sell out like in ten minutes. Oh my gosh! Yeah, legit. But that all died when YouTube came out. <laughs> <laughs> YouTube put everybody to sleep. Oh, that, that was a bummer, man. But yeah. uh, do you ever see your uh, your videos uh, bootlegged on the internet? They're all on there. Yeah. Yeah, all of them. How's it make you feel? Like, do you kind of like smile? Yeah, that's awesome. Or do you just feel like, oh man? It's all promotion now. I mean, the games change. So yeah. the more promotion, the better. Yeah. You know, you can't think of that money's gone. That's gone. It's it's, it's gone. way gone. But it's, it, you know, what's nice about that is that you've, that's part of your legacy. Right. You know, that's your contribution. That's going to just stay out there. And other, you know, what's interesting too, is like somebody somewhere in the world is able to watch that and they're going to find that inspiration just like you did with those boys that you met in junior high. Mm -hmm. So you're living in Southern California. So after the tour, you come to SoCal um, and you get into the agency scene with a video clip. And they hire you on the spot. So when you get hired by an agency, what does that mean? You're just on their roster in case a job comes up? Yeah, well, I'm a dancer. So whenever there's dance gigs, uh, whatever artist it's for or or movie production it's for yeah. or whatever, they call these agencies, let them know, hey, we got this project. We're looking for three uh, hip hop dancers. Okay. You know what I mean? Hip hop. And so the, what the agency will do is call all their hip hop dancers that they have, that they represent, send them all to the audition and hopefully somebody books it from their agency so they can get paid too. You know? Um, so I would just go on auditions every other day or every day sometimes. Yeah. You know? Now I have just a sort of side question here. Could the, could the agencies differentiate between hip hop dancing and breaking? Because I feel like, there's a lot of people out there that don't really understand the difference between the two. Yeah, that's why you don't even mix it up, like in in that world, because they don't know any better. Okay, you so know? just so let them call it. When hip -hop. they say hip hop, send 
choreography dancers, send freestylers, send people that break, send, send everybody but, that does hip hop. But isn't that kind of a problem? Because I mean, within the breaking community, you could have somebody that just, you know, pop locks, right? Just, just popping, mm-hmm. right? Which is somebody that doesn't really focus on any groundwork. Or power moves, correct? Yeah. So what happens if they, <laughs> they show up to an audition and they're not sufficient for what they think they are as a dancer? Well, auditions get crashed by, you wouldn't believe by what types of dancers come that aren't supposed to be there, you know? Really? Yeah, it's just part of the game. So you just got to... You, you just, just gotta, throw them out there. Just send over the five that we have on the list. Yeah, a lot. Yeah, it's crazy. So when you get into this, so you're working with an agency and somebody calls them and says, we need X hip hop dancers. And you're one of those. You show up. And now what happens? Do you then have to sort of, you know, just dance based upon what they need and prove yourself yet again to secure your spot in the show? Or are you guaranteed whatever's going on? Nobody's guaranteed nothing. Like you have to audition. That's why it's called an audition. You go there and you either they're doing choreography yeah. which they'll have a choreographer and they teach a routine okay which will you have to learn the routine and then you know they'll put you out in like maybe four people at a time to do the routine and so, you have to learn this quick yeah and you're in a room full of like maybe 200 people like hella foggy the mirrors are you can't even see in the mirrors wow. you know what i mean it's it's legit you could barely see the choreographer you know what i mean because there's so many people okay. and you're trying to learn from looking at the dude left to you or right and, and they're doing it <laughs> wrong foot, you know right what foot, i mean so foot. um i never banked on choreography i knew what what my thing was you know i'm i'm a, i'm a specialist but you know? but did you have to play the game though i mean like for example if you come into a situation where they're trying to teach you a routine where you're not the director of that right mm-hmm. you essentially have to learn their move yeah could so, you, so could my you thing pick was that like, up quick though, being that you were so creative and competitive? I mean, could you pick it up quickly? No, because, okay, so you got to understand with choreography, that's a whole different game. You got people that are born and raised in LA that were born in dance studios. I'm not, I wasn't born in a dance studio. Okay. I was made in my garage. You know what I'm saying? Yes. So I taught kind of a lot of self-taught, you know, um, the choreography dancers, they're like raised in studios and that's all they're doing. It's okay. choreography, choreography, choreography. They're, they're following so other people's. They know how to remember. It's it's a memory game. Okay. You know, because you got to remember like, oh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, like a bunch of eight counts. Yeah. And it's a lot of, a lot of memory to retain. Yeah. And so me, I'm a freestyle artist. So I go out there and do what I want to do. I let my body flow into moves and my body just knows what to do. Right. Right. So I didn't pick up the choreography fast like the people that grew up doing that. Okay. But I picked it up enough to show them, hey, I could do what you do. Now watch what I do. So and and that's what separated me from everybody else, because all those all those people that grew up in the studio, they can't freestyle. Right. Well, I would say like a good 95% of them can't but, freestyle. But would the choreographers be receptive to that type of response? And, and the reason why I asked you the question is because, I mean, the choreographers, it's my understanding, correct me if I'm wrong, you know, they're putting together those moves, right? And so I would imagine that's their baby and they want basically an army of people that are doing their moves. Mm-hmm. How do you interact with somebody that is an A-type creative person and now you're wanting to make adjustments prove yourself, but ultimately get the job. Just be a good person. That's it. 
just just come in and I always came in and did my job to the best of my ability. Yeah. Humble, nice, on time. You know what I mean? All the being punctual, all those things. Be that guy. You know, not the brown nose. And I was never that type, which is huge in Hollywood. Um, I just came there, blew it up, and was easy to work with. So your work ethic was solid. Yeah. And it's not like I would show them, hey, I'm trying my best to learn your choreography and what you do. And then look what I do besides that. So it's it's like bringing more bang for your buck. Right. You know, like not only am I going to come and do the choreography, but you're going to have like flips in the video now. You're going to have crazy dynamics in the video now when they go to cuts, you know, if, if they want some raw dancing. Like, yeah. That was our thing. And they responded well to this. Oh, yeah. They yeah, loved it. You set yourself apart from everybody there. Yeah, it was trouble. It was trouble. You So that you were probably were not the most uh, popular person amongst the other uh, You'd candidates. be surprised. <laughs> the ones that are working are always popular. <laughs> and that's just the way the world works, yeah. man. Like whether it be fake props or real. Yeah, you know? yeah. So you're, so you're in the scene now full-blown, right? And you just, do the job just keep coming because of your performance? Because I'd imagine you get one job and then they're probably going to report back to the agency. And I would imagine that sometimes they're probably making a request for you. Is that true? Yeah, very true. So that just led to a lot of different roles and activities? Yeah, I mean, you still have to always audition. You still always have to book it. Yeah. But they will, now they know who you are and they're like, make sure to bring, you know, so-and-so shows up, you know one. what I mean? Like, <laughs> and uh, yeah, so, you know, there's a limited amount of choreographers in the game. So once you work with them, it's just like anything else, yeah. right? You know, once you're, you get in there and they see who you are and, and yeah, you just keep, you keep yeah. working if you're really good. So there was a couple notable things that uh, caught my attention when I was looking over your biography and your resume. And one in particular was um, you were in a video game. Yeah. Tell us about that experience. That was, that was amazing. One of the best experiences of my career because that was on my bucket list. Like before when I was like 15, Yeah. like I want to be in a video game. Is that because you were into video games? A little bit. I wasn't like a big video game freak, but I knew like one day there's going to be a breaking video game. I, I just knew it because yeah. to me it was the coolest thing on earth, right? I mean, I looked at, look at Tony Hawk's video games, right? Like yeah. skateboarding and stuff. It, it like got big and blew up and I'm like, man, there's definitely going to be a breaking yeah. one if I, they have this. I remember, do you remember a video game where it just, it said skate or die? There was like a line in a video game where it was like at the arcades, but yeah, I know what you're talking about, but I don't think that ever showed up on a console. Okay. Yeah. It was an arcade game, arcade but game. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. So you were, you were thinking, man, I would love to see this dance in a, in a video game. hundred percent. In a console game. And you, and you got that opportunity. Tell us how that came to, came about. Uh, well, that was, I think around 2006, uh, at this point, you know, I've, done what I did in the industry, the entertainment industry, in the underground world. When I say underground world, I mean like the whole world competing, yeah. you know, winning championships, um, doing workshops, seminars, all that. Yeah. Right. That's the underground world. And then you have the, the entertainment industry, the industry mainstream, world, the right? mainstream. Yeah. So I was doing attacking both of those throughout my whole career. And uh, 2006 in london in england okay this competition that i did a couple times called uk b-boy championships mm -hmm. one of their sponsors was playstation okay. and so that's how sony. playstation sony got involved and and 
and the breaking and all that stuff. And the the guy that throws the event, he had hit me up and let me know, hey, they're working on a video game. Yeah. And um, they want you to be in it as one of the main characters. And I'm like, sign me up. Sign me up. Took a plane out to the UK and I was there for like a week. Did the whole motion sensor capture stuff. Yeah. And, um, and you're, the rest you're is not history. like a, sort of a circular room, right? With cameras in a warehouse. Sense, in a warehouse. Yeah. Was that just amazing to you at the time? Oh, like, it was crazy. Surreal, I bet. Yeah. yeah so yeah. did they let you just freestyle or did you have to All perform specific moves? They wanted they wanted the characters to be them, to do do your signatures, you know, break. Just like how if I was competing. Right. You know what I mean? Did you have to give names to those moves? Yep. So you went back. So when you do the moves, you know, you hit a move, it'll say the name of it while I'm, while I'm doing it. You know what I'm saying? Oh, so it's pretty so cool. cool. Yeah. That's so cool. So, you know, you have a video game, which is incredible. But then there's another notable thing, which is Step It Up. Step Up. Step Up. Step Up the movie. Tell us about that experience, because that's a very well-known movie. Yeah, it's a franchise. It's, um, you know, I have good and bad experiences with with Hollywood work. Yeah. You know, I'm not, I don't want to sound negative or anything, but I just didn't fit in that well. Yeah. You know, that's a whole other podcast. <laughs> right, it was a whole other you know? interview. But, um, you know, with the people that that uh, that I got along with there, it was great, yeah. you know. I always came in and did my did my job good and tried to make the best of it. Um, you know, the, sometimes those, those shoots, people don't understand. You're there, like, all day, every day. Like, yeah. okay, there's a difference, okay? So if you're doing a commercial... You just go in and you're there for like maybe two hours. You go in and bust it out and then you're out of there. Okay. And and you probably make the most off commercials. So that was amazing. Really? In and out, make the most money. Okay. Movies, you make good money too, but you have to stay there. So like say, okay, so for Step Up 2, which is the one I'm in, we were in, we filmed uh, for like a month, right? So One month? Yeah. Um, Where were you filming this at? This was in... Um, were you in Southern California? No, we were in drawing a blank. Yeah, definitely in another state. It'll come back to me later. So you're there. You're on. What site area for code a month. is four one zero? I am not sure. I'm gonna fucking Google it right now, real quick. Maryland. We we're in Maryland. You're in Maryland for a month. For a month, yeah. And you're on set all day. You know, late late nights, late hours. And you could be chilling all day and then out of nowhere, we're ready for you at two in the morning. Like, and you have to be, turn it on. Like as a B-boy, as a breaker, yeah. you know, it's, it's an intense you're on stance. Sta- you're on standby. Yeah. And um, so sometimes that's not that much fun, yeah. you know, but, uh, but I guess overall cool experiences. Cool experiences. You know? Yeah. Now, do you, with, with being part of agencies and are you a member of the, is that the Screen Actors Guild? Right, SAG. SAG. And is that a requirement? Is that sort of a, a baseline requirement for any oh, specific yeah. art? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that's a if big... If you don't have that, you're like a, a scab. <laughs> you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they don't recognize you, huh? Uh-uh. You're not getting any work. Okay. So you're part of SAG. And now with with movies and commercials, are they treated the same in terms of the residual income that follows with participating yeah, in those? Yeah, they work the same. So residuals. every time a commercial's played, there's some... Monetary reward Every for time you. The movies shown on TV, you get paid. Yep. And that's really cool. Wow. That's cool. So do you still get checks in the mail from those past things? Yep. For forever. 
forever. I mean, they 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 go down. Sure, sure, for sure. They're not playing the commercials as much. The appetite for the movies and right. things they they exactly. shift right. Mm -hmm. Unless there's a swing, and then we go back to classics, right? Right. There's an insurgence. So you you have this underground experience, and then you have this mainstream experience. And bring us forward to today. What are you up to today? What is sort of the next chapter uh, in the B Boy Crumbs uh, series? Well, I would say like three years ago, I kind of took a hiatus from the entertainment industry for personal reasons. Okay. I could still do it. I'm still good at what I do. On the flip side, the entertainment industry as a dancer is a young man's game. Okay. And I say that when I say that, I mean, when they look at your age on paper, you know, it doesn't matter how good you are, or you could be the best person in the room still. Okay. But if you're over 30, you're looked at as old. Wow. Just straight up. So it's not like famous actors. You could be as old as you want, you know? Right. You are who you are. But as dancers, you know, in a way, we're kind of looked at at the bottom of the barrel entertainment-wise, okay. even though we make everything look great, great. and they can't do it without yeah. us. We make their artists look amazing. You know, strip us away from their show. It's going to be a boring show. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, because hopefully that stuff changes, you yeah. know, over time, but that's just, I'm telling the truth. That's, no, that's, it's, that's it's, what it is. It's a great point. I think about even some people that are amazing um, singers, artists, right? Mm -hmm. they're, when they're on stage, it's very difficult for them to have that stage presence, hence the dancers. The a lot dancers of them don't have any presence, yeah. you know, as far as like, the, like they're amazing singers or rappers, right? Whatever. But, um, that's not really, it. That's it. Yeah. They're just going to stand very, still. Very, very bland. And that's why they hire choreographers to help them move and have dancers to make them look good. It's like the Christmas tree with no lights is, is no one wants to look at that. Nobody wants to show up to Christmas with no lights. shiny and, you know, all kinds Stencil, of trinkets yeah. and everything on the tree. That's what they want. So, yeah. So you step away for a few years and you're on this other journey. So what, yeah, so what's I, up yeah, next I, for I had to step away. I'm not saying that I don't do any more industry work because I definitely do. I, I sure. love I love that side of it too, but I have to do it on my terms. Right. You know? And you, and I, you have I, that, I would imagine you have that luxury now. Like you've already been there, done that. So now you can sort of pick and choose the things that work best for you. I would like to think so. You know, it's a crazy game. Like I said, yeah. we can have a whole other podcast on the entertainment industry. It's, it's, it's deep. Yeah. It's super deep. And I had to, get out of that pool for a while and kind of get back to my roots. Yeah. You know, and make sure I'm grounded uh, beyond all that because at the end of the day, the entertainment industry doesn't define me, my style or who I am. Right. Right. It's just outlet, another outlet to make money. Yeah. Right. But this underground world, even though I do make money from that also, that's my lifestyle. Sure. So, I wanted to make sure I got back to that, keep that intact, keep it number one, and then jump back in when I want to when you're on ready. the entertainment industry and it, side. And it's my understanding that, uh, you know, today you're also, you know, creating music, you know, just back to your sort of roots as a DJ and yeah. throughout all these years. And then also uh, teaching workshops. So raising up the next generation. So that's something that you're still actively pursuing and will continue to do so? Uh, for the rest of my life. Yeah. yeah, super passionate because I'm passing down, uh, you know, to generations after me yeah. what I've learned, things that I've created and things that I've learned from the pioneers and just keeping uh, each one teach one, we say. I like that. You know, 
And, and I really believe that. And that's what we go by. I mean, this is how our movement stays strong. Yeah. This is how our younger generations. I mean, if you look at breaking now, look at it. It's insane. Like yeah. these, these kids, they're flying, you know? Yeah. Sometimes and they look like just going to hop off the ground. Yeah, and hover. It, they do. <laughs> they literally do. So, you know, we help pave that road for them, Yeah, you know, and us like doing workshops and constantly teaching and passing down the knowledge that's only, you know, benefiting our culture, uh, the breaking scene, the breaking element of hip hop and hip hop as a whole, Yeah, because, you know, it hip hop gets segregated now, you know, the elements mm-hmm. in the nineties, it, it was all together. And could you share what are the elements of hip hop for our listeners? Well, the four elements is breaking, which is the dance of hip hop, DJing, which is the music. You have uh, graffiti art, which a lot of people don't like to use the G word graffiti, so they say writers. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, and then you have the uh, MCs, that the lyricists. Yeah. And then they also say like beatboxing is an element, and then they also say fashion is an element. So, but those are the four original elements that right. I said first. So, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's definitely, and you know, what's interesting is that, uh, you know, going back to the nineties a little bit where hip hop was just, you know, and, and I, it was just breaking through on so many levels and so many people were gravitating towards it. Um, but fast forward to today, it is now by far the most popular genre of music. It has surpassed rock and everything else. I mean, if you just look at, uh, the, the sheer number of people that are enjoying hip hop music, or now starting to partake in some of the elements of hip hop, it has grown significantly. Yeah, no doubt about it. But at the same time, the elements have been segregated. Like I said, look at your hip hop video or what people call a hip hop video. I would say rap video. Yeah. You know, if you don't have any B-boys, you don't have a DJ, you don't have any writers and you're just a rapper with, uh, with some hot chicks and a Lamborghini that's a rap video. Yeah. A hip hop video will at least have two or three elements in it. Yeah. Right. And that doesn't happen anymore. So, you know, there's rap and there's hip hop. There's that whole debate. And yeah. Yet again, another podcast. Yes. Episode. So to, to wrap things up, um, I have a few questions here to ask you as we, as we bring the show to a, to a close here. The first question is if you could only travel to one more country in the world, Japan, where, Japan. Yeah. Why? It's my favorite. It's, uh, I've gone there literally like over 20 times. I used to go like two, three times a year to compete. You love sushi that much. I love the sushi. You do have the best sushi in the world there. Yeah. Um, I just love the, the warrior spirit, what they yeah. represent and, um, very respectful to the arts. Okay. So like here in America, like even though breaking was created here and hip hop was created in the Bronx in New York, you know, it's like, we got this this macho-ness about us. Like, yeah. you know, you see somebody do some amazing things, but you don't want to give it up. You know, you're too cool or... Like you don't want to acknowledge them. Yeah, well, you, you're watching it, so you acknowledge it, but you won't clap. I you know see. what I'm saying? You won't show no love. I like, see. there's a lot of people like that in America. Over in Japan, in Asia, they don't care about any of that. They're giving it up. They're just like, they're having a good time. Yeah. You know, they let, they let, they absorb the talent and they give love back. Because what we're doing is we're putting good energy out there, entertainment, all of that out in the air. Right. And you would think that you would get some of that back, you know, in, in Japan, in those type of countries, you do get it back. You do here in America too, but 
it's a little you bit. You get a little, a little bit of both. You know what I mean? You get your haters and all that stuff too. Next question. So I, I know even when I ask this question, it's going to be difficult because there's just so many amazing, you know, MCs and artists out there. But I have to ask who are at least, you know, maybe three to five of your favorite, uh, you know, MCs um, in, in the hip hop community. Oh, man, there's so many. Um, I'm really deep into characters and lyricists. So for me, like Busta Rhymes, Eminem, LL Cool J. Rakim, you know, that's for like amazing artist, all time artists right there that will just never go out of style. You know, uh, Feral Munch, that's another one yeah. from Organized Confusion. He is like one of the illest MCs on this planet. I'm also a big fan of Freestyle Fellowship here in the West Coast. AC Alone, Micah Nine, Jupiter, all yeah, those guys, Abstract Rude. So, you could be here all night yeah. naming up all these people. Yeah, well, that's a group. So yeah. I was just naming individuals from that crew, but um, but yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a couple. Yeah, East and West. Next question: What is the last random act of kindness that you did for somebody else, and how did it make you feel? Well, I mean, I think every time I teach is a, is a, a random act of kindness. Yeah, because you know I don't really have to do that, but. I'm passionate about that and giving back in that way. I feel like that's what I'm here to do as well. So my last class. Your last class. Yeah. I love it. And uh, lastly, where can people find you online? Instagram at bboycrumbs, uh, B-B-L-Y-C-R-U-M-B-S. And same on Facebook. Those are pretty much the two main spots. The two main spots. Yeah, I don't mess with Twitter that much. No tweeting, huh? Mm -mm. There's enough uh, tweets out there, so we're we're good. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I want to thank you so much for being on the show. I really, I really appreciate your time and uh, you know making in the studio, coming from LA down to Orange County. Uh, It's a pleasure to have you here, and uh, I just congratulate you on such a a, a storied and successful career, and and not just the the accolades or the things that you've achieved for yourself, but the fact that you've invested your heart and soul into something that fills you, but also fills others, because there's a lot of kids out there um, that that are looking to you for clues, and they're looking to you for inspiration, and uh, you are providing that even when you're not present, you're providing that with your legacy. Yeah, thank you a lot. And and just to close off, you know, I just it's speaking to all the listeners, you know, I would encourage people to find what they love and do that for a living. Yeah. You know, it sounds so simple, but it's not simple. But once you do that, you're going to be a much happier person. You know, of course, you're going to go through struggles and, you know, how can I make money from this? But you figure it out if yeah. you're passionate and you stick with it. It's going to work itself out. You know, and um, when you first start doing what you're passionate about, like I didn't think about becoming an inspiration for other people. I wasn't doing it for those reasons. You know, over time, that could just naturally happen. Yeah. You know, and then you realize, wow, I'm making like a big impact on the world. And isn't that what we're put on this earth to do? You know, contribute, make an impact, inspire, do what you love to do. You heard it first, people. Do what you love, and you'll never have to work a day in your life. True statement. Thank you, B-Boy Crumbs. I appreciate your time. My pleasure, brother.